the stack of papers on my desk is getting so high, I think I know what I'm doing after the show. It's going to be clean the desk off day here at Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven at 7 a.m. on this Wednesday morning, October 25th. No matter whether you have a stack of papers a mile high on your desk, too, or you're just listening because you love to listen in the morning, we're glad you are here with us today. Let's get started in prayer, as we always do, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I'd like to remind you that this Friday we're called to a day of prayer and fasting for peace in the Middle East. Uh, so let's get to that. I, I've been saying a lot of let's all do what we can. Let's let's do the most that each of us can do. And then we'll work together. What you know, If you've ever tried to lift something incredibly heavy, I remember at one point in time we were carrying, I think it was... 35, 40, 50 sheets of drywall from street level up to our attic when we were building, you know, the dormer and refinishing, well, finishing the attic about 10, 12 years ago. And uh, that's a lot for one person to lift. And we had eight of us. And it was a lot for eight of us to lift. But there's no way we could have accomplished it without the eight of us. But we were able to do it because there were eight of us. Well, there are those who were able to lift more sheets of drywall and there were those who were able to lift less. But every person was vital. So this Friday when we do our prayer and fasting, do as much prayer as you can. Morning offering, rosary, angelus, chaplet of divine mercy, holy hour if you're able, holy two hours if you're able. Fasting, take on as much as you can. We're each going to do our part and it's going to be Hopefully a really, really, really good offering that we make together. Today on the show, we are going to hear from Father Rippiger about the tree undone and how the cross undoes the effects of sin in the Garden of Eden. We are going to hear from Doug Berry about Our Lady of Akita, and we are going to bring you an interview we taped last week at the radio conference with Dr. Ray Garendi, host of The Doctor Is In. That's all ahead on today's show. Before we get to any of that, let's go to Mike Roberts for a look at today's weather and our saint of the day. Today is the feast day of the Martyrs of Valencia. During the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s, persecution of the Catholic population was rampant, but the war was especially brutal on the clergy. Nearly 7,000 priests and nuns were murdered, and the worst year was 1936, immediately after the military coup. In Valencia, Mary Therese Farragut and her husband, Vincent, had one son and six daughters. All of the girls became religious sisters, and five of them joined the Capuchins, Four of the daughters were together in the Capuchin Monastery of the Poor Clares when it was attacked by an atheist mob. Sisters Mary Jesus, Mary Veronica, Mary Felicity, Mary Malagros, all of them siblings, sought refuge at the home of their mother where they joined Sister Mary Isabel. For a time, 
They were safe there, wearing civilian clothes and practicing their faith in secret, keeping to themselves as they went about their daily lives. But a neighbor reported them to the local militia, and they were taken from the home and imprisoned. On Sunday, October 22nd, 1936, they were taken out to be shot. It was the feast of Christ the King. Their mother asked to be shot last so she could give her daughter strength in prayer as they were led to their death, and that was the only wish she was granted. One by one, they were martyred, each saying just before they were shot, long live Christ the King. After their mother was murdered, one of the executioners said, this truly was a saint. Martyrs of Valencia and the Spanish Civil War, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Prayer Before a Crucifix Good and sweetest Jesus, before thy face I humbly kneel, and with the greatest fervor of spirit I pray and beseech thee to fix deep in my heart lively sentiments of faith, hope, and charity, true sorrow for my sins, and a firm purpose of amendment, while I consider thy five most precious wounds, having before my eyes the words of David the prophet concerning thee, my Jesus, they have pierced my hands and my feet, they have numbered all my bones. This week we have been revisiting a series of segments with Doug Barry going through the Marian apparitions of the past hundred years. And, you know, it's something we've come back to not just the first time we aired it with Doug on the show. I think we've actually played it. This will be the the third time now. And why play something? You know, this is radio, Adam. Aren't you supposed to keep the content fresh? Well, yes, but some things are worth repeating. And as a parent, and find I repeat a lot of things. I'm sure my parents repeated a lot of things to me because they were important and their messages we need to hear. And so in that spirit, we continue once again in this time of turmoil in our world to look at what the Blessed Mother's been telling us over the past hundred years. And today we're going to hear about the apparition of Our Lady of Akita in Japan. This week we're talking with Doug Barry here on Covenant Network about Marian apparitions of the last 100 years. And Doug, today's apparition is one I learned about from you. And all I will say right up front is pay attention. That is the <laughs> number one thing I always come back to when we talk about Our Lady of Akita. Pay attention to what she has to say. Yeah, Adam, again, great to be with you. I appreciate it. This is one of those apparitions that has connections and links to past apparitions. And, you know, you see this theme again, as I have mentioned already in the past, that Our Lady ties things together. She's really good at connecting dots and really expanding and kind of perpetuating that message of the urgent call for conversion. Urgent call. Now, emphasize that because Our Lady of Akita, Japan, in 1973, really does bring this out. You've got Sister Agnes Sasagawa, who begins to receive these messages. Now she has some health issues. Those eventually are cured. She receives a stigmata in her hand. That's key to remember. It happens for a few weeks. I'll get back to that in just a moment. She begins to receive these messages from her Blessed Mother. And there's a statue in the convent where she is in Akita. And this statue, about three feet roughly tall, a wooden statue, is the image of Our Lady of All Nations, which we talked about recently from Ida Perdiman in Amsterdam. Now, this image of Our Lady of All Nations, this statue, rather, begins to 
show miraculous signs. At the same time, Sister Agnes has the wound, the stigmata in her hand in the shape of a cross. The statue also shows a stigmata, a bleeding wound from this wooden statue in the opposite hand. And this goes on approximately the same time as Sister Agnes's. The statue also begins to perspire and it begins to weep. And when they take a closer look at this, the perspiration smells like perfume. And Bishop Ito is all over this. He's paying close attention. He has the blood, the perspiration, and the tears tested. Now, he has it tested by at least three independent medical facilities. And all of them come back. And by the way, he does not tell them where it comes from. They all come back and say, these are human. So you've got this verification of a supernatural miracle happening through this wooden statue. But the messages, now to combine really the three predominant messages that she receives, and the last one being given on October 13th, and I know the audience, many are familiar with that date. That is the anniversary of the miracle of the sun in Fatima back in 1917, where over 70,000 people see the sun spinning in the sky and darting back and forth, massive conversions happening instantaneously, we can only imagine. But fast forward to 1973, October 13th, the Blessed Mother says to Sister Agnes Sasagawa, and, and she is she tied this together with other messages prior to this, that we need to be deepening our prayer because God is very angry with mankind and is preparing a great chastisement for mankind. And she constantly emphasizes, as she does in all of her messages, the need to repent, urgent call for conversion to lessen the seriousness of the chastisement. And that's something we have to remember. We're not going to be escaping this. That's been made very clear. But we can mitigate the chaos by still striving for conversion. She states in here that the demon will be especially relentless, implacable, against consecrated souls. So pray very much for consecrated souls. And we've seen this in the church. She says that there will be bishops against bishops, cardinals against cardinals. She also states, though, that if man does not repent, fire will fall from the sky and a great multitude of the world will be annihilated. The good will die with the evil, even priests will die. And those that are living after this happens will envy those that have died. And she goes on with a few more points to that, but that really sums it up. She talks about how this will be so devastating, worse than the great deluge. And at the end of that statement, and this is the October 13th message, she says, the cause of my great sadness is the loss of so many souls. Now, this is a key thing, because in the world right now, Adam, we see all this happening. Really, in essence, the only thing we haven't seen of these messages and these prophecies is the fire falling from the sky. And what does that mean? No one knows exactly. Is it nuclear war for the world? It could be something from the universe, the, the sun, the, whatever. God can do whatever he wants. But the warning is clear. Many are going to suffer. Many are going to lose their lives. And the cause of her great sadness is the loss of so many souls. And I'll say this last point, Adam, before I finish this up, and that is this, and we could talk forever about Akita, but that is this. When statues of the Blessed Mother weep, this is not just some amazing phenomenon that we should go, oh, this is incredible. Let's travel there and see it. Let's have scientists study it. When God has statues weep, it's a clear message that things are not good in this area that he's emphasizing. And right now we're talking about spiritual deprivation, immorality. Those listening right now, those who are in this audience on board with understanding the need to respond to God, I cannot emphasize enough. Our Lady says over and over again, repent, convert, and pray that rosary. Not when you feel like it. You need to do it. You need to be a warrior. You need to get after it right away.
Doug, it really strikes me how when we started the week talking about Fatima, you made mention that in each of the apparitions, the children never saw the Blessed Mother smiling. And I think about my own wife, and she's a mother as well, that there are times she's very stern because she knows what the children need to do. And then if they continue to ignore her and continue to ignore her, there will come a point where she will start to cry Mm -hmm. because she knows it's going to be very unpleasant for them. And that doesn't even compare Mm. to what the blessed mother is talking about. That's a temporal thing about cleaning your room or cleaning up the house. This is about our very souls and whether we're going to go to heaven or whether we're going to go to hell. And without that conversion, well, I can tell you right now, if you don't convert, I know where we're probably going to go. Yeah, it's a really rough message when you really dig into it and look at it. And, and I've been talking about this for 30, well, my, my ministry, 32 years I've been doing my work. But before that, even when I was doing just local CCD teaching, talking about Fatima, in years past, I would talk about these things. You know, you look at these things, wow, this sounds really serious. Yeah, we're seeing things get bad. Now it's different. Adam, you know, it's very different. With the world events, I say a new shoe can drop at any moment, any day, Now it's food shortages and fuel shortages and the possibility of power blackouts and potential World War III and and all of this escalation and the corruption of this group and that group and these people in charge of this and that, whether it's in government or, or other institutions in the world, this is at a different level now. And then you bring in AI type talk and all the manipulation that they want to do to the human body and transhumanism and all these subjects that are out there that we're spinning around thinking, what in the world is going on? But Our Lady has warned us through all of this. And I want to encourage people because I know it can be overwhelming. I've been doing this for years and I can get overwhelmed too. Remember her promises. If you cling to her, especially through the rosary, she will be there. And even in the trial, in the most difficult moments, okay, of sickness and and persecution, the grace will be available if we are wise enough to open our hearts to that grace through prayer, sacraments, and especially the powerful weapon of the rosary, which she herself, sent by her son, okay, has said to the world repeatedly, is a critical piece of everything that we're going through right now. Pray that rosary. I can't think of a better way to end our time together now than by saying that exact same thing. Pray that rosary. Doug Berry, thank you so much. Thanks, Adam. Good to be with you again. And as we say that, it's just one of those things that I keep coming back to here. We need to be doing this. We need to be spreading this message that it's a time of atonement, and it's a time for us to get things in order, and it's a time for us to do our part. And that's part of why this day of prayer and fasting on Friday is so vital. This isn't just about petition. Lord, spare us from what may come. This is also about atonement for what we have done And not just what we have done, but, you know, there are those in our lives, I think we all know them, who have done things that they're not going to be sorry for. They're not going to atone for them. They're not going to do acts of reparation. Well, let's you and I do the acts of reparation because those sins still offend God. You know, and and that's the thing. It's like when someone says to your spouse or to your parent or to your child something hurtful, and then they don't care, and they walk away and they leave. And your loved one is hurting, and you say, I'm sorry. And you do something maybe to cheer them up, something to to brighten their day because they're suffering from this. Well, you and I are going to have to do some acts of reparation, some acts of atonement to offer to our Lord for the sins against the Sacred Heart, for the sins committed and the blasphemies committed against His Immaculate Mother for the sins against the Father and the Holy Spirit. So it's vital, 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 vital. We're going to take another break here. Here's Pat Barrett with The Way. When we come back, we'll be hearing from Dr. Ray at last week's radio conference. 
Prayer for the Gift of Prudence Jesus, artful master of parables, your prudence eluded the hypocrites. Your actions were known before creation, displaying all the wisdom of your prudence. Eternity must have attended to minutia. Being prudent in your best interest, you considered all potential consequences, securing the outcome of your earthly life. Grant me the prudence to always be cautious and sensitive to the basic needs of others. Jesus, you have shown great foresight. Prudence truly originates from your being. Amen. We are here at the EWTN radio conference with the one and only Dr. Ray. You know, Dr. Ray, I am working on a book. You've heard of the the power of positive thinking. I'm working on one called The Power of Negative Thinking. And I see that more and more in our culture. They've already written the book, essentially. We can just say, you know what, that's too hard. I might as well not try. I might as well give up. How accurate is that, that if we just uh, think negative, we're going to go ahead and fulfill that. They they call it the self-fulfilling prophecy. Something in psychology called a negativity bias which is for the reasons that we humans are wired, and Christians call it sin nature, we are attracted to the negative. We are attracted to the ugly. Uh, this is why these voyeuristic shows are so popular, because we, we, we look at the glass not, not being half full. We look at the glass being empty. That is something that human nature has to fight. You have to fight it. You have to actively fight it. It's like weightlifting. You, you can't go into a weight room and pick up the 80-pound dumbbells because you haven't trained. It's the same thing with thinking. You've got to train your thinking. You simply can't go in the natural direction. If you do, you'll be negative. The other question I want to ask, you know, a lot of listeners call in to your show and they're asking about their kids. And, you know, I'm having a problem with my kid doing this, having a problem with my kid doing that. How can we twist what we just talked about, this negative bias around for our kids? You know, I don't want to tell my kids they can do anything, uh, but I also don't want to tell them, well, kids, you're not going to amount to a hill of beans in this world, so don't even bother trying. Where's, where's the, the, that via media that we Catholics like to occupy when it comes to encouraging our children? Research. Common sense says the best way to have a child be confident and comfortable in who they are is to love them. It isn't full of all kinds of compliments that you're a wonderful human being and that you're, there's nobody like you and you're the only flower in the garden that looks like you. That, the research says that doesn't work. What works is I know how much my parents love me. But that said... Many parents think that love and discipline are different. They're the same thing. Tough love. No, no, no. It's not tough love. It's just love. It's love. That's exactly right. What, what is it that you say that uh, discipline without love is harsh? Love without discipline is child abuse. Yeah. Because the world will hurt that child. The world will crash up against that child. No matter how strict a parent thinks they might be, and when I say strict, I don't mean mean, I don't mean harsh, I mean having high standards. No matter how strict they think they are, they are soft and gentle compared to the world. All right. You know, and the other component of that is if we don't discipline our children, you know, if we don't say, look, you can't do that, this is not acceptable, this is not allowed in uh, general society, someone else will. 
Uh, but that's, that's the important thing to remember is if, if we don't intervene when our kids are out of line, someone else will, and they're not going to do it with love. I don't want the world to discipline my kids. I want me to discipline my kids because after that, they're going to get a hug. They're going to get a kiss. They're going to get talking to. They're going to get a cookie. I don't know what it is, but the world doesn't do that. Some judge isn't going to say, let me see if I understand this. You're the middle child. Well, we don't try middle children in this court. It's not going to happen. You know, I was, I was reading the sneak preview of a book on reverse psychology by this uh, psychologist I know. And I, I want to flip things around here because of that. You know, a lot of people call into your show and Dr. Ray. My kids are raising my grandkids, and I just don't agree with mm-hmm. what they're doing. And how do, I, how do I get them to do what I think they ought to do? I'm going to flip this around. There are times that I think many of us parents of, of younger children, we're trying to do our very best, we're making decisions, and we're looking at our kids that we spend all of their, you know, we've spent all of their life with them and saying, all right, Mom, Dad, I know you don't agree with what we're choosing to do with how we're raising our kids. But at the end of the day, they're our kids, and we're going to be making those decisions. How can we assert ourselves as parents saying that when we need to? I think you said it, Adam. (laughs) Here's the problem. You've heard this, uh, the advice to mothers and mother-in-laws on their daughter, daughter daughter-in-law's wedding day. Sit up, shut up, wear beige. And I think that's good advice for grandparents. And unless your advice is solicited, unless they ask you, you keep your mouth shut. Oh, but Dr. Ray, they haven't baptized their children. Dr. Ray, they, you know, they, 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 he's six years old and he hasn't been baptized. And I've said something. Well, then you've already said something. Enough. I've seen so many these intergenerational relationships, especially between moms and daughters and moms and daughter-in-laws, break. Grandparent says to me, I can't see my grandchildren anymore. My daughter-in-law erupted on me the other day. Have you been given your opinion? Well, well, sometimes. Well, you better stop. Clearly, she doesn't want to hear. Yeah, but she's wrong. What, what are you going to do? These are her children. My wife and I have grandkids. We don't say a word. I got one daughter who hasn't asked me for anything. And then I got a son who says, hey, Dad, if you ever see anything that we're doing that we could do better, tell us. And I said, well, okay, put that in writing. I want that in writing. I'm going to keep a copy in my lawyer's office. I'm going to get it notarized, (laughs) and I'm going to pull it out the next time I say, are you going to let her do that? Oh, my. I love it. But, I mean, really, at the the end of the day, you know, if if parents are, you know, they believe the faith, they're practicing the faith, they're going to the sacraments, they're doing everything they can to be holy, God-fearing parents, to raise their kids right in the world. It's their responsibility at the end of the day to be the parents and no one else's. You know, here's something that people struggle with in psychology, and I get this all the time, no matter who I talk to, no matter what context. Will you tell me how to make somebody else be different? We have this desire to make them think a certain way, make them act a certain way. Wait a minute. You cannot control another person. If they're open to persuasion, if they're open to logic, great. Go for it. But when you get vibes or overt messages, be quiet. Then listen. Be quiet. Don't tell somebody, especially I see this with us grandparents. We want to fix it. We want to make it right. We want to make them do it a certain way. And we're clearly getting the message, stop it. And we don't listen. 
And ultimately, if you keep pushing through that, you're going to run into not only conflict, but you're going to run into getting shunned. And that's, that's the worst case scenario. And I suppose that on, on the child side of the equation, it's a disservice to both yourself and to the grandparent to not say anything, to not say, you know, thanks for giving your input, but we're making this decision. We're, we're going to exercise our responsibility as parents, and we're not asking you. And, you know, we want you to be part of our life, but we're going to be the parents here. We, we can't just hide in a corner and say, well, I'm not going to say anything, but boy, mom and dad really irritate well, me. Well, that's what it is. It brews. And it gets to the point where you find out, a, a grandparent will say to me, I said one little thing the other day, and they just erupted on me. And I said, they've been building up resentments over things you've been saying. Yeah, but I just want to help. I'm not trying to critique anybody. Unfortunately, that's how they're hearing it. Benign stuff. Well, don't you think he needs a coat? What, what you're going to let him go out without a coat like that? Now, granted, that's a benign statement, but it's heard as, you're really not parenting right. You think you need to parent a little better? And those kinds of things build to a crescendo where at some point, some tiny little thing meets an eruption. Right. And you wonder, what happened? I didn't say anything all that bad. Yeah, but you didn't pay attention all along the way to the vibes that were happening. Now, there are times, I've lived through that. Aren't you going to put them in a coat? Why, where's their coat? Why don't they have a coat? And my response is, listen, for the 30 minutes prior to leaving the house. In fact, last night, I said, find your coat. It's going to be cold tomorrow. You need your coat. Get your coat. Now, knowing that if they forgot their coat, they're not going to catch hypothermia and freeze and die. It's only going to be 45 <laughs> degrees, not not 35. Uh, but to say, listen, you know, I've told them multiple times, get your coat, put your coat on, have your coat ready, get the coat. At the end of the day, you know, they have to start learning that when dad says get your coat, he means get your coat. And if you don't get your coat, don't call dad and say you're cold because no one's going to show up with a coat for you. You can't guarantee that. You know, it's interesting too, though, Adam. Let's say you do that. Let's say that you say, hey, Thank you for the input, but I'm dad, and i got to raise him this way. And they blast through it anyway. And they don't take that as, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep my opinions to myself. That's when the trouble erupts. What's happening, one of the ones I see more than anything else, it's probably because we're in Catholic radio, is that the parents are faith-filled people, but the young adults uh, have left the faith or are raising the kids quite differently. And this kills the parents. The parents feel like they're failures. The parents feel like, what do we do wrong? The parents feel this intense pressure to fix it, to make it right. You know, and as a result, sometimes it makes them push too hard. you got to know when to shut up. All right. Well, Ray, it's always great to catch up with Thanks, you. If, if you want to read one of Ray's books, uh, you can find him out there at drray.com. Yeah. Uh, you can tune into The Doctor Is In every weekday on Covenant Network at 12 o'clock noon Central Time. And Ray, always a pleasure. Thanks, Adam. Prayer of St. Clair of Assisi. God of mercy, you inspired St. Clair with a love of poverty. By the help of her prayers, may we follow Christ in poverty of spirit and come to the joyful vision of your glory in the kingdom of heaven. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. 
Hello, podcast listeners. This is Adam Wright for Covenant Network. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. And while you're at it, share it with your friends. And now back to the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. We are midway through our week, and here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, we are learning about children who are saints and drawing inspiration from their stories. Patty, what story will we hear today? Well, the first part of the week, we talked about St. Dominic Savio. Yesterday, we talked about St. Tarsisius. Today, I want to talk about two young women, St. Agnes and St. Maria Goretti. St. Agnes was only 12 or 13 when she was martyred in the year 304. She was betrayed to the Roman authorities by a suitor, by a male, who hoped to have her as his wife, but she refused. She is a model of courage and purity. Similarly, St. Maria Goretti was murdered by a young man, angry that she would not submit to his advances. She was only 12 years old at the time. When Maria was six, her father, a poor farmer, caught malaria and died. Her mother was faced with the task of supporting Maria and her five brothers. So while her mother worked in the fields, Maria took care of the house. In July 1902, while she was sitting at her home mending a shirt, Alessandro Serenelli, the 19-year-old son of a neighbor, drove up in a cart, took hold of her, pulled her into a room, and closed the door. Maria struggled and called for help, but Alessandro was strangling her and began to stab her with a long dagger. She fell to the floor where Alessandro stabbed her in the back with the dagger before fleeing the house. Maria Goretti was taken to the hospital, and in her last hours, she forgave her murderer. She also told her mother that she had been afraid of Alessandro for a long time but was afraid to say anything for fear that it would cause trouble for the family. She died after lingering for 24 hours with her mother and a parish priest at her side. Alessandro, this is an amazing part of her story, Alessandro was sentenced to 30 years in prison and for a long time was unrepentant. Then one night in a dream, he saw Maria promising that she would pray for him. This brought about a complete conversion in his life. And when he was released from prison after 27 years, his first act was to visit Maria Goretti's mother and beg her for forgiveness. Maria Goretti was canonized by Pope Pius XII in 1950 with Alessandro present along with a quarter of a million people. Her heroism is the heroism of a young girl with a conscience, and she is held up as a model of purity. She is also a heroic example of forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that can change the most hardened heart. So let's pray today for the courage to forgive those who commit heinous crimes. Let's also pray for all our young people, for their purity in the face of so many temptations. So St. Agnes and St. Maria Goretti, pray for us. And let's all of us remember to tell these stories. Thank you once again for sharing these stories with us here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. Can I share something with you this morning from Frank Sheed's Theology for Beginners? Something that has been resonating with me as I've been, like I said, working on an article, The Sacrament of Reconciliation, A Parent's Perspective, as our daughter prepares to receive her first reconciliation. In chapter 12, Frank Sheed writes... Once we have come to some understanding of who and what the Redeemer is, we are in a better condition to see into the meaning of redemption. 
For in the state which humanity needed to be redeemed, it would be well to reread the section on the fall of man. Here we may summarize briefly the principal element in it. Owing to sin at its origin, the race had lost its union with God. A breach lay between. Where God and man had been at one, they were now at two, till at one moment atonement was made. Heaven was closed to the race's members. God could, of course, have simply written off the race as a failure. He could as simply have forgiven the sin. He did neither. He chose that the sin committed in human nature should be expiated in human nature. For the act by which Christ redeemed us was a holy human act. The life he offered as a sacrifice was his human life. An offering of the divine life would have been meaningless. The suffering was in his soul and body. The death was the separation of his soul and body. In him, humanity gave gave its all, holding back nothing. Here was a total obedience as against the disobedience of man's sin, a total acceptance and self-surrender as against the thrust and self-assertion of man's sin, and all this was holy in human nature. But he who performed the act was God. Actions we have seen are always in the nature, but the person does them, and the person whose human nature this was and whose human nature all this was done was, is, God the Son. Because he was truly man, his sacrifice was truly human so that he could so that it could be set against the sin of the race. But because he was God, his act had an infinite value by which it compensated outweighed not only all the sin men had ever committed, but all they ever could. That in essence is why it is redemptive. Every act of Christ was infinite in value because he who performed it was God. It's important to note. Theology for Beginners, a great book by Frank Sheed. In fact, give us a call here at the station in the next uh, 10 minutes, and I'll send you a book. I'll send you a copy of it. I'm feeling generous today. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Queen of Peace, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. By the way, that offer only applies to our radio listeners this morning, not to our podcast listeners. Sorry about that, but you'll have to get your own copy of Theology for Beginners. And uh, we're making note of that. We're talking about the human nature of God, who also has a divine nature, because he is a divine person, not a human person. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today.